For just a moment, if you'll remain standing, I'm going to read from the book of Jonah just the start to give you a flavor of how the story goes. This is the first four verses of chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came up upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. And as you may know the stories that goes on, the sailors begin to cry to their God. They go downstairs to Jonah asleep and say, why don't you pray to your God? But he doesn't. They cast lots to see who's offended their God to cause this trouble. Lots fall on Jonah. And so Jonah says, you're right, it is me. I'm running from God. Throw me overboard. And they're like, no, no, we're not going to do that. They'll throw everything else overboard first. But then they do throw him overboard. And then the wind calms, the storm calms, and the Sailors on board the ship are saved, and then God has a plan for Jonah and swallows him with a great fish. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, I have to confess to you that uh, three years ago, I missed the first Sharknado on TV. And I heard so much and read so much about it that when Sharknado 2 came on this week, well, I was there. But I thought when I read about Sharknado 1, that just seemed preposterous to me that that a tornado would go over the ocean, pick up all these sharks, and, and drop them on Los Angeles to wreak havoc upon the citizens of the city. So I tune in with interest to Sharknado 2, and of course, in the first few moments, I figure out, This isn't about what's plausible at all. And the first moments, you see scenes that are reminiscent of the old comedy movie. Some of you may have seen Airplane. Uh, You see references to Star Wars in the movie. Uh, You see cameo appearances by Al Roker talking about upcoming uh, threatening Sharknadoes. Matt Lauer reporting the damage into New York City. And then uh, Michael Strahan, the former, uh, the current Hall of Fame member and the New York football giants, uh, wrestling a, a, a Sharknado, a shark that attacks him in the middle of he and Kelly's TV show. Well, you figure out after a while that this isn't supposed to be science or history at all. This is a comedy. And once you figure that out, you figure out how to roll with Sharknado. And I want to suggest to you that when you come to the book of Jonah, it's good to have this approach as well. Now, by comedy, I don't mean that it it, it doesn't happen. In fact, it's quite likely what happened in the book of Jonah not only did happen, but could happen again today. A colleague of mine, I was having Thanksgiving dinner, I believe, a few years ago. With uh, a guest came, and the guest was a, an oil uh, rig worker out, out in the out in the sea, and so they repaired the oil rigs out at sea. And she said, "What's that like? Is it dangerous?" And he said, "Yeah, and the number one danger is large groupers." And he said, one day we were out working, and he said a grouper came along sucking in so much water, took my partner with it, and actually swallowed my partner, and. I let him out a short time later. So I'm not here to say this is not true. I'm here to say a comedy is when a series of things go wrong, and yet the sharks get defeated in the end. Mistake after mistake after mistake is made, and it still comes out right. 
And that's what the book of Jonah is about. Today, we'll look at the first part of the book of Jonah. Ryan will be here next week. He'll be looking at the end of the book of Jonah. But when you see this, uh, this comedy, what you see is a man, Jonah, a prophet who does everything wrong. But in the end, all the sailors on the boat not only are saved, but they recognize and worship the one true God of the universe. It all goes wrong, except it goes right. Well, for this comedy, you really don't want like Owen Wilson or Jim Carrey. I mean, Jonah actually is a serious figure. He is mentioned in 2 Kings uh, and is mentioned as a prophet that had a successful ministry. He just gets a few verses in chapter 24. But he prophesied to one of the meanest, nastiest kings in Israel, a guy named Jeroboam II. But he was so successful in his prophecy that the empire actually flourished as the word of God wanted it to flourish. So Jonah, Jonah comes in with a pretty good reputation. But as they say in the old investment commercials, you know, uh, past performance is not necessarily indicative of uh, future success. And it wasn't for Jonah because he came in and it all went bad. Uh, it, look what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to go to Nineveh. He headed for Tarshish. Well, what's that? Well, let me tell you this. It would be like God telling me today, David, I want you to go to New York City. So tomorrow morning I go to the airport and book a flight to Hawaii. It's about as far away as you can get. He doesn't go where he's supposed to go. And then this is a prophet, a man of God, who when the uh, great storm gets hurled by God at the ship to get Jonah's attention, uh, and the men are all praying to their gods, the man of God is sacked out. And when they wake him, he refuses even to pray. You know, that's like taking the senior pastor and, and he refuses to pray. And then there's another mistake. This man who booked a ticket to Tarshish, to Hawaii, far away, doesn't even get there. He ends up in the middle of the ocean, swallowed by a big fish. For Jonah, everything goes wrong except it goes right. What I wanted to do was look with you for a moment at this character Jonah this morning and just ask the question, why did it all go, go wrong? What, what happened? How could he make such terrible mistakes? And I want to suggest to you, uh, in my opinion, uh, it's one word, and it's the same word in English as, as it pretty much is in Hebrew. And I'm going to give you that word. The word is Nineveh. Nineveh. The people of Nineveh, Assyria, are nasty, cruel, ruthless, heartless. And Jonah knows it. Of all the people on the earth, that would be the one people who just might as well, can I say it, go to hell. And they will prove it. Because 50 years, roughly after the story of Jonah, there is a, a Syrian king named Sennacherib, who after uh, the northern kingdom of Israel has been trashed, moves in on Jerusalem. And about 701 B.C., according to history and the Bible... Uh, Sennacherib is just eating like Pac-Man, little, little cities all the way. And then finally he gets to the last city before Jerusalem, and it's a place called Lahish. And he, he lays siege to the city. If you've ever been to Israel, you may remember Lahish. It's got the siege ramp, you know, 2,700 years later, still in place. Big mounds of dirt that the Assyrians built to conquer this, this walled city. Uh, but what he did to it was unspeakable. I used to read it at Bible study every once in a while, but, the, but there were children in the room and the parents said, please don't. So I won't read to you Sennacherib's account. I'll just give you the summary. He did unspeakable things to men, women, and children. 
cut them into pieces. And this is what he said when, when he got back to Nineveh, he built an entire south wall of his palace and had like a, a bas relief, you know, kind of a carving of everything that happened. And you find all the, all the people of uh, Lahish are like going like this and they're being stabbed. And this is what he said about himself. Sennacherib says, and I gave them permission to slaughter. And he did. That's what the Assyrians were like. That's what the Ninevites were like. And so when God says to go to Nineveh, Jonah's like, I don't think so. But he doesn't bother to argue with God. He just gets on a ship and goes as far away from Nineveh as he can go. So what's his mistake? He disobeyed God. Why? Here's my thought. Jonah believes that there are some people that are worthy of God's love and there are others who are not. That God should love some and God should not love others. And then the people from Nineveh, well, they're the others. And they ought to be destroyed. I'm not going to do anything at all to help them. God is just wrong on this. These people need to be destroyed. So the problem that you look at with Jonah is he believes that God should love some and not love others. Jonah doesn't seem to realize that really we're all in the same boat together. That God looks on all of us and cares about all of us. Many uh, years ago, a number of us were taught by a pastor of Chicago uh, this one great phrase. He said, you have never locked eyes with a person who does not matter to God. And I think that's still true. You just, you cannot, I don't care where they went to school or they didn't go to school. I don't care what uh, part of the country they're from. I don't care how they're dressed or not dressed. You have never locked eyes. Where the person doesn't matter to God. The rabbis used to tell this story to make that point. But there were a number of guys on a small boat. And one of the guys started drilling a hole under his seat in the boat. So water started coming on the boat. And everybody said to him, what are you doing? Stop that. And he said, look, I'm only drilling under my seat. And what the rabbis are trying to teach us, look, we're all in the same boat together. And when any of us is taken on water, we are all taken on water. And when the people of Nineveh are suffering, we're all suffering. And when people are trapped on a mountain in Iraq, we're all suffering. And when people are on another side of town without access to food or housing, we're all suffering. But Jonah didn't see it that way. He thought, well, some suffering matters to God, but other really doesn't. But God makes it right. But I want to look at this for a moment. If that's what Jonah got wrong, what did he get right? For just a brief moment, Jonah found found somebody to care about. Jonah cared enough about the sailors on board the ship, even though they were all Gentiles, that when the lots came to him, he said, yeah, it's my bad. Throw me overboard. And it's interesting. The the sailors on the ship said, no, 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 don't do that. We'll, We'll row harder. He's like... Throw me overboard. They rode harder. They got nowhere. What did Jonah do right? He sacrificed his life for these sailors. He showed some compassion. Now, the first bit of good news this morning is if we'll just show a bit of compassion, I think God will jump in at that first flicker and that first sign. God jumps in. The fish comes. The story continues. If we can begin to muster even a bit of care. Because one of the things that are true about God's prophets in the Old Testament is you can say whatever you want about them. Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jonah, Moses, Elijah, whatever. 
But this you must say, they all had compassion. I'm always amazed at people in our day who think they're prophets, but they're not really. They're just angry people. So they carry signs telling us who's going to burn next and why they're going to burn. That's not a prophet. That's where Jonah messed up. God didn't want anybody to burn. And with that little bit of compassion for the sailors, the story starts to turn. And, but there's one other thing about the story. It's really not about Jonah. It's not even about Nineveh. It's about God. Because God comes in and takes every mistake that Jonah makes and turns it into something good. Jonah endangers the ship. God brings up this big storm, but enables Jonah to witness and testify in such a way that even though he's thrown overboard, when the sea calms and the ship comes back together, everybody on board praises Jonah's God, the God of the universe. Everything wrong, and God makes it come right. The second bit of good news this morning is that God is a God who delights in taking mistakes that we make. And turn them into something good. So Jonah messes up. But the ship people are still saved. Jonah goes, we'll talk about next week, to Nineveh. And he preaches kind of a half-hearted sermon. Doesn't even try. He says five words. And the entire city repents. He messes up. God makes it right. Fast forward to the New Testament. God does the same thing. There are these two very famous people in the church. One is named Paul. One is named Barnabas. And believe it or not, they can't get along. I know you have never been in a church where people don't get along. But it happens. And so what happens, their disagreement is so great that Paul takes a man named Silas and goes one direction. And Barnabas takes a guy named John Mark and goes another direction. And what happens in their disagreement? The gospel covers twice as much territory as before. God takes the mistakes. That they made and turns them into something wonderful. There was a great uh, Christian uh, Swiss psychiatrist years ago. His name was Paul Turnier. And he said this. He said, the amazing thing in the world is not all the things we accomplish when we do good. He said, the amazing thing in the world is all the things that God accomplishes out of the things we do bad. That's what this story is about. Mistake after mistake. And God turns it into good. And I think all he needed was just an open door from Jonah who cared for just a brief time for a moment. See, God is not asking for you or for me to become perfect. But I think God is interested that we might care. And when we care, even just a little bit, the doors open and and God begins to work even through our past mistakes. Because the fact of the matter is, God is not near as interested in what we've done as what we may yet do. It's the future that God holds before us. And so God wants to take our mistakes and turn them into things that are wonderful. But the great thing is, God also, as I read the Bible, takes the mistakes of other people and turns them into something wonderful. Are you familiar with a guy named Joseph in the Bible in Genesis? Pretty interesting story. Joseph had ten older brothers who hated him. He was a brat. He was spoiled and he would tell on them when they didn't behave. And so one day he's going out in the fields... To see them and, well, first of all, lying in the field working with them. That's how spoiled he is. And they say, that's enough of this guy. Let's do something. Let's kill him. And then they go, no, 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 we're not going to kill him. We'll sell him 
as a slave. And they do. And he's sold to some slave traders who sell him to a man in Egypt. He goes to Egypt, becomes a head slave in a guy's house. Uh, and things go great, except the mistress of the house falls in love with him. He refuses her advances. And so she accuses him of assault. He gets thrown in a prison, into the bottom of the prison. He gains the trust of the warden. He shapes up the prison. Things run well. Uh, and then he foretells um, and interprets dreams in the prison for people. And one of them, he says, the interpretation is, God is going to um, raise you back up. Pharaoh's going to raise you back up and things are going to go well. But when you get there, will you remember me here in the bottom of this prison? Sure enough, this guy gets raised back up to an official position, forgets all about, jo- about uh, Joseph. He's just left in the bottom of this dungeon. Mistake after mistake made against Joseph. And then one day the Pharaoh has a dream he can't figure out. They call for Joseph. He comes out of the bottom of the dungeon, says to Pharaoh, I know what this is. It means you're going to have seven good years of crops and seven bad years of crops. And if I were you during these seven good years of crops, I'd save enough and and store it so you can have enough for the seven bad years. Pharaoh says, man, that sounds like a plan. I need a guy who can execute it. I think you can. And as you know, Joseph becomes second in command of all of Egypt. And one day his brothers will even come to him, though they don't know it's him. For food. He feeds Egypt. He feeds Israel. He feeds the world after mistake after mistake has been made against him. We worship a God who takes our mistakes and the mistakes of others and makes something out of them. Have you ever looked at the backside of a tapestry? You know, if you, if you have made, we used to have a wall hanging in our house. So, so I remember this. Look on the backside and, and it's, it's, it doesn't even make sense as a pattern. And they're loose ends and nothing seems to come together. But you come to the other side and it makes a beautiful picture. Often our life is like that. The mistakes we make, the mistakes others make against us, and it looks like it makes no sense. And the story of the God of Jonah is someone who weaves it all together, mistakes and all, and makes it make perfect sense. And it starts with a God who loves, who looks for a person who will care Just a little bit. And when that happens, the future gets blown wide open. Have you ever made a mistake? Was it a bad one? Was it so much so that you thought God could not use you? Has anybody hurt you? Was it in a bad way? Was it in a way that you thought you could never trust another person, even God, again? If so, you are in the exact right place. Now, given that past, you are ready for the future God has for you. And you might say, "Ah, I'm really messed up. Oh, they really hurt me. You might say that. Rabbis told a story. I think it's loosely based on King David. But the story went like this. There was a son who rebelled against his father, the king, because he didn't want to wait to be king. But the rebellion failed. And so he ran for his life to a far country. And his father there in the throne room began to miss him. And sent a messenger and said, go to my son and tell him to come back. So he sent the messenger. The messenger found his son living in a far country and he said, your father misses you. He wants you to come home. And he said, no, I can never come home after all I've done. Are you kidding? I tried to overthrow him. I could never come back. So the messenger went back 
and told the king, your son says he's made too big a mistake. He can never come back. And the king gave the messenger another message to bring to his son. Went back, found his son in the far country and said, your father misses you. He wants you deeply to come back. And the son said, look, I can't. I made too big a mistake. I've done too much wrong. I could never come back. And then the messenger said this. Well, if that if that's the case, your father said to tell you, if you can't come back, come as far as you can and I will meet you. The story of Jonah is about a God who meets us wherever we need to be met along the way. If we but turn and take that first step and whether it's by fish by person, by coincidence, by circumstance, our God will meet us and take all of the ugly on the bottom side and weave it together into a picture more beautiful than we can imagine. Pray with me.